daily podcasts, Keith. So much podcast, so little time. We're, we're pretty happy to do this, but you know, Keith, this is how the pros do it. They often record multiple podcasts back to back, so I hope you stocked up on caffeine. I'm actually drinking this weird flavor of Gatorade that uh, my daughter and I bought before softball practice and neither of us wanted it. Arctic Blitz. I don't know who's a Gatorade drinker out there, but I'm a Riptide Rush kind of guy. <laughs> and uh, Glacier Cherry is my backup. I don't know what this thing is. It's not a natural color. Uh, not sponsored by Gatorade or Powerade or any kind of uh, performance Home. enhancing aid. Homemade lemonade. We'll take anything. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. It's a special mailbag edition of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. We're in our 12th season of podcasting, our 20th season of covering Division Three football, and A, we're in our 10th season on Twitter, which is where you guys, the fans and listeners, reached out to us with a bunch of good questions this week. So we're going to reach back and welcome you to Podcast 213, where we will talk about your questions following Week 7 of the 2018 Division Three football season. This is the edition for October 16th, 2018. Uh, if you're looking for our full Week 7 podcast, look for pod number 212. That could be next in your feed or previous or, you know, really anywhere else, depending on your podcast player of choice. You can always find it uh, at least uh, early on in the week. You can find it on the D3Football.com homepage. So uh, as a refresher, I'm Pat Coleman. I've got Keith McMillan with me. Shall we uh, dive into what we got here? Yeah, I mean, I think it's good to know uh, for a mailbag podcast that people are out there listening. So Keep the questions coming, and if you like it, we'll do it again. When it comes, I want a will. Whoa, Keith is committing us to doing this again. We're going to see if we can get through it once, but uh, no, I think this should be good. I, I liked uh, getting all of these questions, and it's great to have a lot of really well-thought-out questions. We answered a question from Brad Cronin on the uh, on the Monday podcast, uh, and you can uh, go find that. Let's dig into what else we've got. We've got one off the bat here. From Max, he's at Matt Stella underscore 41, asking, what is currently the most interesting conference race? Seems like there are a lot more than usual this year. I I definitely agree that we've got a a lot of great races, some of them in prominent conferences where sometimes maybe the best races are in like the conferences in the middle to bottom half of Division Three. But I think the one that we've been talking about all year is the MAC. Oh, wow. That was, that was not even my, I had, I had two at the tip of my tongue. Oh, good. So uh, let's talk about your two then. Well, I thought the CCIW and the Centennial, but I think, you know, to, to back out a step, kind of to answer the question, it kind of de- depends on what you qualify as most interesting conference race. It can be uh, most interesting because there are new teams challenging the perennial powers. Mm-hmm. It can be because there are multiple teams that you could see winning this thing. Um, a lot of times as a veteran of a most interesting conference, and I, I know you can't see everybody out there, but I just did the quote fingers. Um, the ODAC, right? It's always interesting because you never know who's going to win. Teams can beat each other literally any given week. But then you send an eight and two team in the playoffs and they get smushed in round one. So sometimes most interesting is, is not the greatest thing. But I find the CCIW to be the most interesting conference race right now um, because it perennially sends a pretty good team into the postseason, sometimes two. And in this case right now, we're looking at uh, Illinois Wesleyan, Wash U, Milliken, North Central, all five and one. Wheaton, which has beaten Milliken and North Central, they're four and two. They're the three and two in conference, though, so they're in a tough spot 
they need some other dominoes to fall in place. Uh, Conference-wise right now, Illinois Wesleyan 5-0, five, five and oh, uh, Wash U, Millican, North Central, one loss, Wheaton uh, hanging around. So very rarely you see five teams at the top, even in a 10-team conference, all with a chance to win. And what makes it really interesting is the leader, Illinois Wesleyan, still has to play Wash U, Millican, North Central, the three teams right on its tail. So I, I find that one to be uh, the most interesting. I also think the Centennial is, is pretty interesting. But you want to? Why don't you talk about the MAC and then I'll come back to the Centennial? Yeah, I think the interesting thing about the MAC is that you know we had this kind of preconceived notion, of course, that uh, that Widener was going to be pretty good this year, and then they uh, stumble pretty hard out of the gate. Right now, they're at three and two in the conference, though. That's just a game and a half behind Delaware Valley, and they haven't played Delaware Valley yet. Misericordia, of course, is unbeaten, and how long that will last, unbeaten in conference, it'll be pretty interesting to see how that goes. Stevenson just beat Widener this week. Uh, Wilkes is having a bounce-back year after going 0-10 for the first time in decades. Uh, FDU Forum is even doing pretty well there, 2-2. Two two. I feel like, you know, with the fact that uh, Albright, who has been a factor in the conference race for a couple years running, is uh, sitting at the bottom at 0-4, and, and Lebanon Valley, which went to the playoffs not all that long ago, is at 0-4 as well. It makes this conference race interesting because, you know, it might not be one of the usual suspects, even though Delaware Valley is right there unbeaten in conference up at the top. And that's pretty much my same reasoning for the Centennial. It's uh, Muhlenberg is out in front of Johns Hopkins right now at 5-0, and 6-0 and overall. Uh, Hopkins one game behind 4-1, and Franklin and Marshall, Moravian, Ursinus, all still in the mix. I think what's interesting about the conference is Susquehanna gave, uh, you know, there was a game, what, like back in week three or whatever, where Muhlenberg beat Susquehanna in overtime. Susquehanna is not even a, a top half team right now in, in the Centennial. So that shows you the uh, the, the parity, right? The 6-0 and team struggled to beat a 3-3 and team. But I think because it's it's potentially a new team at the top, um, especially for for folks who are who are following from afar, you know, if you follow – uh, if you're out in Wisconsin or Iowa or Washington State or whatever, and you don't know that much about about the Centennial Conference except Johns Hopkins wins it every year, it's kind of cool when you see Muhlenberg at the top. Or same thing, you're looking out in the Northwest and you see Whitworth in front instead of Linfield. Um, the Liberty League is another one that has several teams. Names are all familiar, um, but it's not necessarily Hobart that's at top. So uh, I think that's probably um, there. There are a handful of, of really interesting conference races, and there are probably some that listeners can think of that that we forgot about. We got a question from Bob Quillman. He's at IWUHoops.com. Uh, and the question for the podcast, the way the CCIW is shaping up this year, does it make you think the conference is stronger or weaker? Uh, you can tell from his Twitter handle that uh, Bob follows primarily CCIW basketball and Illinois Wesleyan basketball. I should say, too, uh, Keith might know this, but I don't know if the listeners do. Uh, Bob is a longtime voter on the D3Hoops.com Top 25, and so he knows a little bit about pole mechanics as well. Um, but I thought that this was an interesting question because um, I, I think we did think that adding Wash U would be a benefit to the conference just in general. They'd be adding a team that, if nothing else, would strengthen the middle of the pack. Right now, obviously, Wash U is looking like they're going to be a lot higher than the middle of the pack. Yeah, um, I, I think to answer this question, just like the first one, it, it depends on how you define stronger or weaker. If stronger means that more teams are competitive with the teams who are traditionally at the top and in the CCIW, that's North Central, Wheaton, and 
some years Illinois Wesleyan. Uh, lately, it has been. Uh, sometimes, you know, there were, I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe Elmhurst was a, was a third team in there. But stronger could, if stronger means it's better because there are four or five good teams, then yeah, that is the case. But I think it's actually, it's probably weaker in terms of what team are you going to send into the playoffs? Are you going to be able to send two teams uh, with only five at-large bids and the teams beating up on each other? You don't have very too many very strong cases right now for a Pool C bid when the Pool C teams are going to be Harden-Simmons and Wesley and, and teams with uh, St. Thomas. They're going to be really strong resumes, so you're going to have to have a really great um, strength of schedule and cut your common opponents head-to-head. Head to head. You're going to have a, really need to have a good good um, resume to get in as a Pool C team, and I don't think any of the CCIW second-place teams right now are in that place. Now, if somebody beats Illinois Wesleyan, uh, they they may fall into that spot, but they also have a non-conference loss to to UW Lacrosse, so they're not in in great shape either. If if they take L, and I think that is why I would answer this question: the conference is weaker. Although if you define it by is it is that more parity, then you could say it's stronger. Yeah, I think if you and I were doing conference rankings right now, though, we would probably view the CCIW as in a stronger position from that standpoint, right? Looking from top to bottom. Yeah, but but it's 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 easy to say you add more teams, your conference gets stronger, and that's not well, always the case, right? If you have to add good teams, right? We know, yeah, we and we've talked about that before. Question from SJU Johnny Brad Cronin. He was on our last podcast as well, but that's okay because this was a good question. After seeing how St. John's played St. Thomas, how far can the Johnnies go if they make the postseason? Obviously, so much of this is based around what the pairings look like, right? Um, I feel that. Uh, especially in this part of the country, in the upper Midwest, there's lots of places where, uh, you know, you get bad matchups for really good teams early on. Uh, just, you know, just a couple of years ago, uh, basically a 4-5 game between St. John's and UW-Platteville, a, a game that really I think should not have been bracketed and paired up that way, uh, basically resulted in Platteville getting eliminated early where they should have been in position to to win a playoff game. So it's a little difficult to to uh, make that kind of logical leap right now. Um, I, I don't know if, I don't know if we have enough information. I just know that it's really tough sledding in uh, that part of the country to get a favorable part of the bracket. I agree with you totally. And you took the words right out of my mouth about coming out of the West region where again, you happens in the West happens to the Texas teams and the, in the Northwest conference teams where they match up, with other really good teams sooner than uh, than sometimes happens in other parts of the country. How far can the Johnnies go? I mean, right now in the poll, they're ranked in the top five. So you'd think semifinals are are in play for for the Johnnies. You also figure every year, you know, we ranked we ranked the Mayak when when Adam Turr just re-ranked the conferences, ranked it as the second best conference. So the champion of the second best conference certainly you could make yourself think, all right, that's a team that has a chance to get to the stag bowl. But before you get that far down the road, I think the Johnnies have been frankly pretty disappointing in the, uh, in the postseason of late. And uh, you could maybe say the same about St. Thomas, although they at least get a, a few rounds deep and, uh, and have been this two stag bowls. So I think how far can they go? Pat, you're right. It depends on the matchup. It, de- it depends on, um, 
how well they're playing at the time, whether they stay healthy, a whole bunch of things like that. But I mean, to answer the question directly, if you set the bar at where they are ranked in the poll right now, they're a top five team. I, I think the bar that is now set at semifinals. And just kind of looking at uh, their numbers right now, of course, they are unbeaten. They have a really good strength of schedule at the moment. And that will change, of course, because there's four games left. But, uh, you know, one of them is against St. Olaf. One of them is against Thomas Moore, which while Thomas Moore might not have a pristine overall record by the time they get to uh, that week 11 game, they still will bring in some really good uh, opponents that will help, you know, St. John's strength of schedule not to get too deep into that uh they also have to play hamlin and hamlin will drop that and uh concordia moorhead will drop that strength of schedule a little bit too but st john's could be in line for a number one seed and that would uh, obviously give them a at least a better path to uh the national quarterfinals or the semifinals but it's hard to like i said it's hard to play in this part of the country and not get a good opponent coming your way in the second round or the third round but it's also a place where home field advantage at that time of year actually probably matters. Whereas um, playing at home in October in the Mid-Atlantic, the weather is probably going to be somewhere in the 50s and it doesn't matter. Well, you, you're playing in December in, in Collegeville, Minnesota, you may have a weather advantage uh, where if you're flying in a team from Texas or Southern California or whatever. To answer this question another way, and I know I know we don't want to spend too much time on any one because we have a, a, a few questions to get to, but I think this is relevant. There are 10 teams right now in the poll that look really solid, and then I feel like there's a huge leap to 11 or 12, and maybe for every voter it's a little different. By, but those 10 teams are uh, from top to bottom, and I'm just doing this out of memory, Mount Union, Mary Harden-Baylor, Whitewater, St. John's, Brockport-Frostburg, Wesley, Harden-Simmons, St. Thomas. John Carroll. John Carroll. Is that 10? That's 10. That's I, 10. I, all right. So those are 10 teams, right? They're all in the top 10. They're pretty solid. They've either um, beaten someone else really good or they've played someone else really good close. Uh, Harden-Simmons case, they, didn't, they weren't very close to Mary Harden-Baylor, but they've shredded everyone else. Those 10 teams legitimately should feel like, hey, we should win a few playoff games. We should go deep into the postseason. Uh, annual caveat for Harden Simmons because they'll probably get matched up with Mary Harden Baylor way too early. But for the other nine programs, all eight of them, I mean, all nine of them, right? There's only going to be eight quarterfinal slots. Yep. So somebody's going to be disappointed. Somebody's going out early. Semifinals Brockport and Frostburg and Mary Harden Baylor and Mountain Union and Whitewater and St. John's and St. Thomas can't all make it to the semifinals. So some team is going to be disappointed. So as far as where the bar is set for your team, uh, how far can you go doesn't necessarily mean you'll make it that far because there are going to be some top 10 teams, top eight teams who won't get as far as, as they probably should. Question from EC Hammock, which is at EC Hammock, H-A-M-M-A-C-K, asking, will Mary Harden Baylor secure more votes for number one? This is a really interesting question, Keith, because obviously it's up to the mind of each voter. There was a bit of a shift last week, and it stayed the same this week with uh, 19 number one votes for Mount Union, six for Mary Harden-Baylor. There are always going to be a group of voters that will not change off of the defending champ as long as the defending champ continues to win. And so, you know, there's no way that Mary Harden-Baylor, I think, could secure all of them without Mount Union losing a game. 
Uh, I suspect there might maybe be one more or more two more in play, but not if the status quo continues. I think if Mountain Union continues to beat teams in the expected manner, I'm not sure how many more switch over. Yeah, I thought this week's poll was a pretty clear no, that there will be no more uh, votes for Mary Harden Baylor. That 19 people think Mountain Union is the number one team in the country. Six are on Mary Harden Baylor right now. And anything could change. Every week we should constantly be reevaluating. But Mountain Union is beating team 77-3, Mary Harden Baylor 55 nothing, and 91-7 and 77-7. Unless we get a surprise result, which I don't expect because they've each played their toughest opponent already. Uh, Mountain Union has played John Carroll. Mary Harden Baylor has played Harden Simmons. And there are some other teams with winning records ahead, but I don't think we'll get any surprises and I don't think any more votes will switch at the most uh, maybe one, maybe maybe one of the six will switch back to Mountain Union. Who knows? Uh, next question from Caleb Brimage at uh, un- at Caleb underscore Brimage. Brimage has two M's. I say these things out loud so that you can go look up and see that these were actual things. Uh, the question is, who is most likely to get upset in the top 10 in the later part of the season and by who? This, of course, is entirely dependent on who's left on the schedule, right? Uh, so I was as I was looking through this, the first thing that pops to mind, of course, is, you know, Wesley has yet to play Salisbury and that's a rivalry kind of anything can happen kind of game. Um, yeah. And Wesley has uh, shown itself to, you know, be a little bit vulnerable, I guess, and a little bit prone to giving away the football. I don't know if Salisbury is good enough to make uh, to make use of that, but that's certainly a, a potential game that uh, popped out at me. Oh, well, I'm glad you did research for this, Pat. Um Wesley's definitely got the toughest schedule left. All the teams on their schedule have winning records. Salisbury 6-0, Montclair State 5-1, Rowan 4-2, Christopher Newport 3-2. So uh, all teams Wesley, in theory, should beat. But that's if you're looking for a team that's most likely to stumble, I think, out of this group because St. John's and St. Thomas have already played. Mary Harden-Baylor's already played Harden-Simmons. Mountain Union's already played John Carroll. Frostburg State and Wesley have already played. Most everybody's already played their toughest games. Brockport. Uh, just shredded Alfred on Saturday. Uh, they had their tests back in week two at Ithaca. They won 13-7. I don't think, I mean, I mean we could look down these schedules and, and, you know, pull out a reach for each one, uh, you know, Brockport versus Cortland or something like that in, in week 10. But I think, uh, I think Wesley's probably the right answer. Yeah, I think if you're someone who's really looking for a way to move up the poll, you also keep an eye on, uh, the St. Thomas Bethel game. Maybe there's a chance that the Harden Simmons Texas Lutheran game is a game that might uh, end up at your in your liking. Uh, Whitewater finishes the season at Platteville, although uh, you know I don't expect Platteville to have more success against Whitewater than they did against Oshkosh. That's at least a place where there could be a potential upset. Well, but and they uh, Whitewater could be in the clubhouse by then too. Uh, if I'm, I mean, I'm not doing the math on this. Yeah. yeah, it's the yeah, last week of the right. season. They could be, yeah, they could be already clinched. Of course, they still want to play for home field at that point too. So, so I'm so I don't know. I, I think I think you hit it right. I think Wesley's probably the um, probably the right answer there. Question from Nicholas Jones at Nicholas A Jones asking, "How much better is this year's Brockport over last year's Brockport?" Great question. Um, you know, obviously, there's been a lot of talk about how great uh, Brockport is defensively. We've seen that. You know. We've seen that statistically. We've seen it really well. Um, you know, the people who have watched Joe Germanario 
have said that he's in a uh, that he's playing better this year than he was last year, and that makes some sense. You know, it's a guy who's continuing to grow, um, but you know, who knows how that how that plays out, right? At any at any point, that could end up being a, a game that uh, you know, or being a team that doesn't quite finish out. Remember that they won on a last second field goal at Delaware Valley last year in the quarterfinals. And without that, they uh, never even get to play at uh, Mary Harden Baylor. Um, you know, now Brockport in a position to have that game at home if they win out in the to have a quarterfinal game at home. So there's a lot of factors that go into this. You know, Brockport obviously lost some key players. Uh, they had key guys come back and uh, in the secondary and the guys up front, the front seven on defense look really really good i think the question on brockport coming into the season though was the offensive line and i don't know if we have that answer yet yeah and i think that's where someone a team like mary harden baylor and and this question from nicholas a jones is uh from someone who follows mary harden baylor and and so has a an interest an interest in this because uh those two teams very well could meet again in the postseason this year i think that's where a team like mary harden baylor or mount union um you know with with um such great defenses that's where they could do some damage if Brockport's offensive line um, isn't able to hold up and that's uh, honestly where a lot of great teams make their money that's where Brockport is going to do it it's big damage against some of the teams that season round one and, and potentially round two and three I think the Brockport's definitely got the defense and the biggest thing now is none of this is new to them if Brockport has to go to um, Mary Harden Baylor again or if they have to go to Mount Union if they have to go play at Whitewater or St. John's, any of these big places in the country. Once you've traveled, uh, and, and most of your guys have, have done this, um, most of the team traveled to, to Mary Harden Baylor last season for that semifinal. They they you know left some points on the board. Probably should have been, I mean, that was a 24-0 game. Probably should have been uh, at least 24-9, right? They're in the red zone uh, three times, come away with, with no points for a variety of reasons. But this is a team now that is not going to be phased by the the playoff process about having to go play one of the major programs in their house if they get sent on the road. And I think that's probably, uh, along with the defense, one reason why this year's Brockport is better than last year's Brockport. And if the brackets are more mixed up than they were last year, and it's not just East region teams playing East region teams in a, in a group of eight, and Brockport has to go on the road earlier than the semifinals, I think they'll be okay. Also, uh, Jason Mango knows how to grow a playoff beard, so they should be set there. I think the game was 21 nothing at uh, Mary Harden Bayer last year. Next question is from Brian Proud. He's uh, at HOF. Will the momentum Marietta has going play a big part or a small part in their suddenly huge OAC matchup at John Carroll this week when they will try to start 7-0 for the first time, dot, 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 dot ever question mark this is a really good question i think momentum is probably the thing that is most on their side because marietta has actually never beaten john carroll at all i was looking through the uh marietta's record against other oac teams and i think marietta only has a winning record against wilmington i don't think they have a winning record against anybody else in the oac and uh, they have uh, gone o 27 and 1 against John Carroll that uh, tie a uh, somewhat less memorable one than the one that you and I, Keith, remember from 1995? Well, to answer the question, Pat, 
I think momentum is gonna is nice in the lead up. It's a good storyline. Uh, might help you kick off first drive, but momentum is gonna play a small part once you get uh, in the middle of the game. Now, obviously, there's in-game momentum and there's uh, the the type of things where you, you make some good plays and you start feeling well or you start feeling comfortable within the game plan or whatever. But the the real problem for Marietta is gonna be John Carroll is legitimately great on defense this season. Um, haven't given up points hardly to anybody um mountain union beat them 23 10 but they got two defensive touchdowns in that one so you take you, you say they gave up basically uh nine points to mountain union that's wacky math but that's true they scored a touchdown they kicked a field goal so um 21 to steven's point back in the opener 17 this past saturday to ohio northern uh nobody else has scored um Muskingum is the only other one to even score on them. So I, I think that's going to be the, the biggest problem. Now, Marietta has been pretty great offensively. Um, they've been in clutch moments all season. So if they get in another one in, in this one, they, they should be fine. Um, the capital, the two-point conversion back in the 51-50 game, the two-point conversion in the Ohio Northern game, they beat Heidelberg 38-34. Marietta has been in a lot of close games, but I think their biggest problem is, is going to be just consistently moving the ball on the blue streaks. Question from Dave Manfra at Manfra Dave asking, will DelVal win the Mac? Which is a Do I have to question. have reasoning or can I just say yes? Well, he did ask a yes or no question. Uh, I, that's what I think is going to win the Mac, but it's uh, as you talked about a little earlier, it's, it's a, one of our more interesting uh, conference races. Right, uh, Delaware Valley also already has beaten Stevenson. Uh, they have Widener yet to play, but at the moment they have a game-and-a-half lead on Widener. They don't play Misericordia, which at the beginning of the season wouldn't have been something we would have even batted an eye at, didn't think it would be an issue. Uh, Misericordia, just for kicks here, uh, they finish with uh, FDU Florham, then at Kings, at Albright, and versus Lyco. So they could lose one or more of those games potentially. Um, Delaware Valley, uh, we mentioned that they wrap up the regular season with Widener. Before that, they have uh, Lebval this week. They have Albright as well, and they have Kings. I mean, I don't know. That's uh, the, it, It's obviously Delval's in the driver's seat, and they uh, have basically have control of their destiny, I guess. I don't know what the tiebreaker is if uh, we have multiple unbeaten teams in the MAC, but I know we have uh, put that question in, and we'll, uh, we'll find that out at some point. That's funny. That makes it a much more interesting question where DelVal could win out and then we've got to figure out what the tiebreakers are, similar to the situation we had with the pack last year. Um, I think the only interesting thing really about the DelVal schedule from here out is the three of the four on the road. DelVal could win the Mac and not win the automatic bid, of course, too. And that's uh, that's not it is or is not part of this question. Who knows? Next question is from Kevin Solly, Kevin S-O-L-L-I, asking, can a team from the East region truly compete on the national stage? Sure they can. The question is, will they, right? Well, the question is compete. And I think Brockport competed with Mary Harden Baylor last season on the national stage. Again, they were in the red zone in that game three times, and it was it was a 24-0 final, but it could have been a lot closer. They Missed on a fourth down early in the game. You punch that in, different game, I know. But we have to go – the reason why this question is a question is because you have to go back to 1991 Ithaca for the last East Region team to win a Stag Bowl. In the 90s and all the way up to 2005, 
Uh, Rowan went to several Stag Bowls. They went to the semifinals as recently as 2005 at Mountain Union. That game was a 19-7 game, so they certainly were competing on a national stage. I think what we're looking at this year, uh, the top 10 teams we talked about earlier on this podcast, Pat, you got Frostburg, Wesley, and Brockport in that group of legitimate top 10 teams. I don't I don't know how um, close any of them will get to winning the national championship, but I think Brockport's as good a shot as the East has had in a long time. Our last question comes from BR at Redman Sports, and this was not one that uh, came in response to our call for questions, but it was a, a question nonetheless, and because it has some relevance here, I thought I would throw it out uh, for me and Keith to talk about. Just out of curiosity, how do you leave hashtag RMC football out when they just shut down one of the best QBs in the nation? I know ODAC is a weak conference, but the dominance, and I assume there's a dot, dot, dot or something like that. Um, I felt like the guy answered his own question, of course, when talking about the ODAC. Um, and then, you know, I looked back and reminded myself that, uh, you know, Randolph-Macon lost to Johns Hopkins 63-31, and Johns Hopkins currently sits number 25, so it would be really difficult to justify getting them into the top 25 ahead of a team they lost by 30-some points to. But since this is uh, Randolph-Macon and it's Keith's alma mater and we like to talk about the ODAC, I thought we should talk about Randolph-Macon in general here and whether they might be a top 25 candidate as the season wears on. See, that's weird because I read this question as a opportunity to get onto the soapbox, uh, as I do at least once a year on the podcast, and remind everybody that Division Three is giant. Yeah, there are 250 teams right now. Frank Rossi showed us a list earlier this week of 20 unbeaten teams, and he's not even voting for all 20 of the unbeaten teams, let alone the teams like Randolph Macon, who who have a loss. And look. I love the Yellow Jackets as much as anyone. I think the best message to a team like that is keep on winning, win the conference, get into the postseason, focus on that more than focusing on the top 25. For all the teams who are ranked, I mean, who are un- unbeaten, who, who have one loss, just be reminded that Division Three is giant, right? There, there are 6-0 and teams, 5-1 and teams, 4-2 and teams all over the country. Probably – probably 75 teams that that have a claim to uh to you know to to be they feel like they're top 25 but then when you really get to where we get to as voters and break it down not all 6 and 0 teams are created equal there are certainly um teams like John Carroll and Harden Simmons and UW Oshkosh who have played much better competition than anyone on Randolph making schedule so it uh you know even though those teams have a loss and sometimes other teams are undefeated like MIT um, is, is another example of a team that's undefeated and, and, and isn't getting any votes right now. There, there are lots of teams in the same boat as Randolph making. So, uh, keep winning, beat Hampton, Sydney, get into the postseason, and, uh, and we'll take it from there. They did really do a nice job on Hayden Bowserman on Saturday though. I'm thrilled. Especially as a defense guy, right? I don't know. Hey, everybody, before we go, I want to tell you about something that's coming up on our Friday podcast. As we preview week eight, we're going to talk with Cleve Adams, the head coach at Averett University, and his team and his campus and his university have gone through some pretty intense weather and weather-related events stemming from Hurricane Michael over the course of the past several days. I talked with him on Tuesday afternoon. 
Here's a little bit of what he had to say, and you can hear the rest of it on Friday's podcast. We knew it was going to rain pretty significantly, and we decided to meet the guys on main campus so they didn't have to travel in the rain and practice in the gym. By the time we arrived at main campus, the rain had started, and it was something that that I've never experienced in my 48 years uh, on this earth. Uh, It was unbelievable the amount of rain we received in less than an hour. Our campus was completely flooded. We obviously canceled the the practice opportunity, and we were trying to get our kids in the room. The winds were up uh, significantly, and um, by the time we came out of the gym and broke broke the practice, the, the, the parking lot in one of our main parking lot areas was basically three feet. The water was at least three feet high. And uh, it was it was unbelievable. It was like a, a small river was running right through the middle of our small campus. And it, it caught us off guard. We lost power there shortly after and uh, just re, regained power yesterday evening. Don't forget to check out Friday's podcast, and you can hear the entire story of what's going on at Avert University. Cleve Adams and his team preparing for their game against Huntington on Saturday amidst everything else going on around them. And this was D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, number 213, season 12, episode 14, released on October 16th, 2018. Thanks for listening and keep an eye on the rest of our coverage throughout the week. If you like this podcast, please consider rating it in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher. By now, hopefully we're in iHeartRadio, but uh, I only filled that uh, form out on Sunday, so who knows. Regardless, put a rating in. Give us a review. That'll help other football fans find it. You can uh, also leave comments on the blog page. You can tweet at us uh, using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football on Twitter. And Keith is at D3Keith. That's how we got all of these questions that were used in uh, this podcast here. So we really appreciate that. Thanks for chiming in, folks. The executive producer of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is by DJ Mentos, whom you can find at DJMentos.com. Thanks to everybody who sent us the questions for this edition, of the mailbag edition of our show. And of course, thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com and my co-host, Keith McMillan. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post at D3Boards.com. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. And there, see, we recorded two podcasts in one night. I think we should probably call it a night. You want the ghost of podcast future? Oh, that, that's Friday. That's the future. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody.